This is the Influencers Network Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Craig. I serve as the uh, Executive Director of Influencers here in Bentonville, Arkansas. And I'm really happy to have uh, not just Rocky, our founder, with us, but uh, another real key man in our ministry and uh, Rocky's best friend for 50 years. Pete McKenzie's here as well, here in Bentonville, Arkansas. So uh, I'm honored to be with both you guys. I'm glad to be here and welcome Pete. Yeah, good to be here. I just had some okra, green beans, and barbecue. <laughs> <laughs> He's back home. He's, yeah, stuff you said you can't get in uh, Orange can't County, can't huh? Get it in Orange County. <laughs> <laughs> well, good. Well, I, these guys were both here, and Pete was in town, and we thought it'd be great. I thought it'd be great to, to for you guys to hear from them together, uh, and uh, just love for them to share some of their wisdom and and also just uh, I think it's a pretty cool thing that these guys have been walking together for and friends for 50 years and got to watch each other's lives and 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 see ministry change and a lot of different people touched and uh, a lot of things you've seen so uh, I think we should start just real quickly talk about how you guys met each other and and got in each other's lives a little bit. Rocky, you want to set the story up well, a little bit? Well, yeah. Actually, we are going on 55 years. 55 years. Okay. Uh, from knowing each other in 54 years as best friends. And that would be at 19 years old, we met each other. And at 20 years old, we sealed the deal. Mm. And uh, and that, that story began from there when he, he married Susan and I married Sally. And then Susan and Sally sealed the deal. <laughs> well, we met playing baseball. Rocky okay. was playing at Ole Miss, and I was playing at Auburn, and they put a team together taking players off of different SEC teams to go to a national tournament in um, Johnstown, Pennsylvania. So we met. I'll never forget the first time Rocky met. We had been playing together, and then I brought Susan over. I think we had a game with somebody that, uh, before we went up to Johnstown. So I'd been dating Susan, and I brought her over, and Rocky looked at her and looked at me and went, is she blind? <laughs> Thankfully, she was. And that's characterized our friendship from then on. <laughs> yes. So, yeah, always a few jibes going back and forth. Uh, yeah, but yeah. Pete was a great baseball player over at Auburn and um, and uh, went, over, went to College World Series when he was with them. And he was, uh, he was an outstanding second baseman and first baseman and third baseman, I guess. You went all the way – to all around the loop. Did you ever play shortstop? I did. You That's did? the reason I got out of baseball. <laughs> <laughs> I helped a lot of pitchers get to the big one. <laughs> uh, he's kidding. He's good. He was really good. He had warning track uh, uh, power. Power. <laughs> <laughs> he could put them out there. <laughs> if he had aluminum bats, you'd, you'd hit a lot of home oh, runs. So, you know. Big leagues. Oh, wow. <laughs> So yeah, some excuse. <laughs> but anyway, we met then, mm-hmm. and then I went back uh, the next year and played uh, summer league baseball in in Birmingham, and uh, and we really got to be good friends then. And we just <laughs> our friendship was based on golf, baseball, 
bowling. There was a deal. They had a real deal. I think you could bowl from uh, midnight to dawn for $2. <laughs> this and, was in Alabama? In Alabama. <laughs> so we, we decided we were going to do that. So we were so competitive. That, oh, yeah. I mean, we wanted to get the best of the deal. <laughs> Rather than doing on the same lane, we got two different lanes side by side. We were the only ones in the bowling alley at the time. <laughs> so we had our choice. But anyway, uh, that's where it began. And uh, after college and all that, Pete, if I'm not mistaken, you're the first one who kind of fell calling into ministry of some sort, right? Is that how, or I don't know how that all happened first. Yeah. Um, I, I learned a lot about us reading Rocky's book, Forged to a Vision. Oh, okay. Um, about those days, because there was a little time in there between college and his senior year. We played Ole Miss in the SEC championship. Hmm. Um, my senior year and Rocky's senior year, and he had torn up his shoulder and had a surgery, so he wasn't able to play. And they, I'm sure they would have beat us if uh, <laughs> But we went ahead and won that. And then after that, we both graduated, and um, we went uh, several years maybe in there before we reconnected. Um, I think we were in touch, but we just weren't connected. He was getting his insurance business going. He had just married Sally. I had just married Susan. And um, But I remember they came to Birmingham on an insurance deal, and uh, we had never met Sally. And we were in a hotel um, in downtown Birmingham, <clears throat> and it had a big spiral staircase coming down from the mezzanine. And here they come walking down that staircase. And I took a look at him, and then I took a look at Sally, and I went, is she blind? <laughs> <laughs> you both married above your head. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, <laughs> married blind women. Thankfully. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, Rocky and I, as our friendship go, the way I would describe it is we were assigned to each other. Yeah. I just think that uh, we got through 55 years of uh, mostly just loving and having great friendship. And then we went through some times where not so much. But because we were assigned to each other, it's just like being married and, you, you know, divorce is not an option. It wasn't in our relationship. Yeah. never has been. Mm. And we've overcome a lot of stuff um, like that. Well, not a lot, but a few things, mm. you know, in our in our friendship. But that's meant a lot to me over the years. Because in ministering to men all these years, I, I realize that men don't have best friends as a general rule. Mm. And, uh, and we don't take it for granted either, mm. Rocky no. and I, uh, that we've been this, had this kind of friendship. And our wives were almost closer to, than we are in their friendship. Mm. It's been Sally a gift. Yeah. It's been a gift. And, you know, it's interesting that, that the, uh, our pathway, spiritual pathway, is that both of us knew each other when. And uh, Pete's basically a good guy. He was always a good guy. He was he was depraved, but he was a good guy. And I was a depraved bad guy. Mm. And uh, But I was my best around him, I think. But uh, I was, uh, my senior year of, of college, I had a, a call, so to speak, where the Lord was, you know, drawing me to him. And I was in a, a boys camp in North Carolina. I was a, a counselor there. And it was there that I met some other guys, athletes that were, they really loved the Lord. And, and for the first time, I didn't feel ashamed to be a Christian. And in fact, I was even glad to be a Christian. And it was there, I, I, I just said, Lord, I'm, I'm coming out. You know, I'm getting out of the closet. I'm going to let people really 
know who I am, and I'm yours. And uh, and now that was 1966, and it wasn't real popular at that I time. I should add, when he came home from that conference, he stopped through Birmingham. This is in North Carolina. He yes. stopped through Birmingham and uh, spent the night with me on his way back to Laurel. And um, I remember we, we got twin beds in back in the room that I grew up in, and my brother and I had the same room for all those years. And so anyway, Rocky's in over there, and, his, and he's lit up. He is telling me about the speaker, and he's telling me about what went on, and I could just tell, man. And I'd grown up in church all my life, and I didn't have what he had that one night, mm-hmm. but I wanted it. Mm-hmm. And I remember asking Rocky if he'd pray for me that yeah. night. See, that blew me away because I thought that I was going to have a real hard time here, you know, because I'm going to be coming out and nobody's going to like me anymore. You know, it's, I mean, in 66, it wasn't real popular to be a real stand-up Christian. You know, Crusade was just starting to come on campus. At that time, they didn't have all the pretty girls that they do now. <laughs> it's easy to go there now. But back then, it was like... You were the Lone Ranger, mm. so but there was a there was a great confirmation <clears throat> that what was happening because when I came back and saw Pete, and I shared with him that which was going on, that which I promised that I would share, and there was this such a amazing response that I was blown away, and he said, "Would you pray for me?" Mm. And so I want to fast forward a little bit. So I did pray for him. I was. So glad about that. And then I went back, and that's another story about me. I don't want to go there, but I want to talk about where we hooked up later. Because fast forward, uh, we were out of touch a little bit. He he, he and Susan got married. Uh, Sally and I got married. Then we kind of pulled back together, and I found out that this guy was an amazing, outspoken, Christian professional baseball player. Mm. And... Uh, and he had had a life change after that point when I saw him that now, okay, we're entering into a new zone as brothers. I remember one time we, uh, we were down, Susan and I were visiting you guys in Mississippi, and you got an invitation to speak at a Baptist church. Mm-hmm. I think it was a Baptist church. And, um, and so you said, hey, why don't you come along and we'll both speak. And uh, I'll never forget that. Yeah. But you know, so you were getting asked to speak. Why were you? Uh, oh, just, you know, I was a football player and baseball player, and you know, a little a semi-celebrity in Mississippi. Gave you a platform, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it gave me a platform. I wasn't ready to be doing that because all I could do is give them my block and tackle and testimony. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I was very un, unskilled and and honestly, not quite ready to be doing that. Uh, there was a lot of more cooking that God had to do in my life, but uh, this guy. That's a that's a different deal. I mean, I was slow to turn, but he man, he did an about face. I saw a, a man that was. I mean, he was, he was, he was there quickly. Mm. He's been that way ever since. I mean, he's just been a real, just solid guy, and started uh, his ministry early on. Pete, I mean, you were you were ministering. Uh, Kind of like a baseball chaplain to those players, weren't you? Well, I did that when I got to L.A. And no, I'm talking about when you're playing pro baseball. You were really well, you know, you were concerned I, about their souls. I was growing in the off season, and the, during the season, I was holding on for dear life because I didn't really have a lot of fellowship. I had one team I played on in five years with the Minnesota Twins in their AAA uh, one year, 
he was a Christian, and we played a couple of months together before I got traded back to Detroit. Um, but those were lean years during the season. But in the off season, I get, get, was still really involved in church and at the church we grew up in, and um, and that was good things were happening there. Um, but then I, I, they put me at shortstop. You ask about me playing shortstop. Mm-hmm. I, I was with the Oakland A's the last uh, year I played. Two significant things I think came out of that. One was a shortstop, and I had a terrible year. And um, shortstops are made; they're they're not born. I mean, they're born, not made. I'm sorry. Yeah, they're made by God. <laughs> <laughs> they got a special skill, and I didn't have those twos. I was a good first baseman, second baseman. I like that part of the infield. In minor leagues, all I could was playing was third and short. And um, so anyway, the last day of the season, I hadn't hit that very well that year either. So I'd gotten a job in a Christian school, which kind of started the ministry mm-hmm. uh, in Birmingham and uh, Broward Christian School. And um, I, the last game of the season, I knew I was going to retire and go to work at the Christian school full time. And I'd had a part-time job the year before with them. And uh, a guy, we were playing in Memphis, and the season's over, and I'm putting my equipment in my bag, and a guy on our team walks over to my locker, and he goes, you know, I've been watching you all year, and it's whatever you got I need. And that was, in five years, the most significant thing that happened to me spiritually as far as seeing any impact of my life on other guys. Uh, you never know about that, but... So that guy came to know Christ that night yeah. over dinner when I took him out and we had dinner. And, and that was a good way to leave the game, you know, and I was retiring before they could release me. And um, But uh, those were great years for me for developing a platform, like Rocky said. When you, there's something about athletes that they like to hear you speak. And, that, and I often wondered, because I thought I was pretty mediocre and I proved to be. And but I was able to play five years in the minors. And God was giving both of us platforms mm-hmm. to be able to share the, the Lord and have opportunities to give our testimonies and those kind of things during those years. You know, I, I always uh, have made an observation that there was not much men's ministry stuff prior to 90, 1990, I think, maybe, when Promise Keepers was birthed and Man in the Mirror. Is that accurate? or what? Well, you know, I think it's accurate from the standpoint of comparing it to what was going on before. Mm-hmm. But still, only 10% of churches are ministering to men. And my observation and the ones I've been around, I've been around a lot of them, is that 80% of those are struggling. You're saying as of today? Even? As of today. Okay. Well, you know, it, but let's go back to what the period you're talking about. Yeah, when, when 70 to yeah, 90, whatever. Yeah, yeah, let's broaden men's ministry and let's look beyond the the models that we see nowadays that Pete's talking about. You can have a, a pancake breakfast in, in, a, in a church once a month and call it a men's ministry. Mm-hmm. Or you can have a real deep dive where you want to take somebody into a close proximity of Christ, a, a real discipleship ministry. There are very few of those, uh, and I think that's what Pete's talking about. But you're talking about a desert now during our era. You didn't have any of that, nor did you have mentors. Well, I just know there weren't even any men's books, like like before no. Maximize Manhood by Ed Cole. I don't know if there were any books for men, you know, Christian mm-hmm. men. I don't know of, you know. It was a lonely place, uh, actually, that, during that era, and— uh, 
Well, the place, if you could get into men's ministry, the Navigators, Campus Crusade, InterVarsity, mm-hmm. a lot of those on campuses, Okay, they ministered to men in, in that. And they didn't really have a lot of co-ed ministry. They had some. Campus Crusade had some great co-ed life on campus ministries uh, going. But but there was a that was my first exposure to being in a small group with men. And our church, Briarwood Presbyterian in Birmingham, had a lot of men's small groups. They had couples' home groups, too. But these would be men meeting at a cafeteria in the morning for breakfast or some restaurant. There was some of that going on. Kind of accountability groups is what those were. Right? Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And but they they were that's the fledgling stages, and it was uh, and and he's talking about Briarwood Press, and and that was a, I mean a, one of the top churches in the country mm-hmm. uh, with a pastor who was an amazing evangelist within that church, and uh, and a lot of a lot of great people have come out of that church that have birthed other ministries, and and it was a it was an incubator uh, of sorts, but it was rare, mm-hmm. and. Uh, and back to your question, though, uh, what was it like? And it, we didn't have much. Now, he had more because he wasn't an area. I had none. And, uh, and this, is, this is one of the things that really, uh, I think, separates us when we don't have that, and that is if we will incline ourselves to the Lord and if we will ask him to come in and be our mentor, he will do that. The Holy Spirit will mentor a lonely man if he will if he will make himself available to seek him and to listen to him but it's hard yeah it's it is hard but the thing that impressed me about rocky is i went on staff moved to california with the navigators okay and we developed and field tested a that ron ortley with the navigators really came up with as a tool called the colossians 2 7 series yeah and uh, that took all the discipleship material and from Bible study to scripture memory to prayer to sh- witnessing. It took all that and put it together in one package. And there was a lot of scripture memory going on. Um, and so we were using it pretty effectively. And, and it was a tool they developed for churches. And Rocky was in uh, Ocean Springs, Mississippi, and going to a big Baptist church in Biloxi. And we were there visiting them. And I told Rocky about that. And um then we had a training in Birmingham. I believe you came up for that training. Mm-hmm. I'd already. This was after I'd already gotten the curriculum, though, and started working with it. That was that was that particular meeting was basically bringing guys together that were doing it. Yeah. Okay. And we're talking about navigators' material at this right. point. And, and am I not mistaken? And they were uh, they came out of the Billy Graham as a support to the Billy Graham Evangel- exactly. Evangelism Association. Well, yeah. Billy Graham used them. But okay. They, it came out of Navy, some Navy people that uh, Doss Trotman began that ministry. Yeah, during so. World War II, there's a big shipyard and Navy base in Long Beach, California. And so Doss and Trotman was in that area, and he began to invite Navy guys over, and his wife would cook dinner for him, and they would have Bible study, and that's where the navigator started. Mm. Um and then Billy Graham knew about them and just asked them if they would kind exactly. of partner with him. He and Billy got together, and they, that all came out of that. Okay. So let's stop real quick because there's a critical point we need to make. Why did Billy Graham do that? Because he knew that the the Crusades would uh, draw them. It was an event that would uh, turn their lives around, but it would not sustain them. Right. And that and Billy Graham was committed to discipleship, and this is why Doss Trotman and the Navigators were brought along 
to follow up. That was a key part of what they were doing. Yeah, and the point I wanted to make is Rocky got the tool. He started using it in his church, and he just turned that church upside down. I mean, he, and he did this in several places and churches that he was in over the years. And I just looked at Rocky and I said, you're doing more ministry than a lot of missionaries and pastors that I know mm. as far as impacting lives and having the gift and the heart and the vision to do that. So um, that, I guess, that culminated in you coming to California for mm -hmm. about a year. Right, right. Well, you know, again, the spiritual path that we've been on has been full of, uh, you know, maybe disappointment. Uh, and it's been a, a, a re, you know, realignment or re a diversion from our where we were going, either career-wise or athletic-wise or a lot of things. Uh, Pete has had more of a linear path uh, because he had just been so connected early on. And I think because he was so connected early on and was so listening and trusting that his path could be a little bit more linear. He didn't have to go through some of the struggles that would break a man. Because he pretty well bellied up and the Lord said, here I am. <laughs> and when, when a man does that, there's a lot less breaking that has to be done. And I was the guy that he had to break. But most most of the time, you guys have never lived in the same city besides that little stint when you went out to California, yeah, right? So, that's right. So you guys have taken trips together, and I know you've had a lot of just fun trips, right? Oh, yeah. And, oh, yeah. And I'm sure you guys, have you guys talked through the years? And I'm sure you have a lot of conversations about spiritual things as well and what you're seeing. Well, we used to talk about what he's doing in churches and uh -huh. what I'm doing in, with churches in our ministry in California. And I remember... And I think the whole journey was born out of this. Yeah, it is. I, I know where you're going with it. Yeah, well, go ahead. Well, it's just the conversation we had about what was missing. Yeah. Exactly. Because the disciplines were there, the verse memorization, having a quiet time, sharing your faith. And, and there was something we knew missing, but we weren't sure what it was. Yeah. Until we finally did figure it out. So you both, you both sensed that, that yeah. there was something. Something was missing, and and then where I found it, actually was in California when I was journeying through John 15 for the first time and really understood that what was missing was the heart connection. And that's what we, we came to conclude, that you know we're trying to change people outside in. If you get their hearts and get it connected with Christ, then the change will naturally come. Absolutely. And, and then Rocky started working on that. It was like he asked God, God, how do we get men's hearts connected to your heart? How do we make self-feeders? And um, so he started doing that. I remember I was visiting him in Arkansas out here at one point, and he invited me to go to a lunchtime thing he had going. That was the beginnings of the journey. I didn't know it. I don't know if you knew it. I think you did. Yeah, actually, the beginnings of the journey was with you and me. You know, I tell that people all the time, Pete, that, uh, you know, I get a, a little emotional about history, but you know, I rolled out with the journey in 2001, and that's when I started taking the downloads that God had given me, but those downloads came when you and I were seeking, yeah. years before, and God chose me to go public with it. But, you know, you've been an integral part of it early on. Mm. Well, it's called fanning each other's flame. Mm -hmm. 
And I think that's what kept us together over all these years. And then we had two wives that were just deep. Mm. They became you know, best friends as well. They loved being in the shadows. They didn't want to. They weren't up front. They didn't teach a lot or go speak a lot or even formally mentor women or those kind of things. But they were so committed every morning, getting up, spending time in their in the Word and journaling and praying. We just had two supportive, wonderful wives. Gifts. Yeah, and there and it was even a greater gift because they clicked so much. Um, is best friends themselves. Well, and Pete, you were you were in professional ministry, right? And at the time, and then Rocky was a business guy trying to live out ministry. So you kind of got to see both sides of yeah. that. You don't have to be in professional ministry to make an impact. Well, you know, that's one of the things I think in ministry and professional ministry that we forget sometimes. Pete, guys get real lit up about Jesus and they want to serve and they have some gifts and they feel like they need to go to seminary. They feel like they need to go do this that and be, be a professional. And really where it's needed is that guy right where he is. Now, God's going to call some of those guys like he did Rocky in the ministry full time. They have gifts and they ought to be in ministry. But there are others that need to right where they are, bloom where they're planted, as this saying goes, and impact the world around them right there in that marketplace, right there, wherever they're planted. You did that for a number of years, mm-hmm. you know, before you came on with um, influencers. Well, you know, you know, a, a part of the story is that year I did go to California in 1984 for one year, and that was because I felt like I had been called to ministry. I had been affirmed in that call because, you know, we had already seen the fruit of ministry that was coming, the gifts, the spiritual gifts that were happening. Uh, and I felt like the call was there, but uh, I discovered that I I, uh, I was called, but I was sent by me, not by God. Mm-hmm. And, and that was a necessary part because in California, now I was full-time, but I discovered that I'm not doing the ministry I'm called to do. And it was Chuck Swindoll when we had lunch with Sally and me, and he, he knew our story because he had Is been part of it. this in Colorado? No, this was, this was in California mm-hmm. when I was in, when we were out there. Had lunch with him and said, you know, Chuck, you kind of know the story about our life and coming over here with a CRM and leaving what I was doing to come here and just feeling this. And he says, well, look, he says, the story I hear tells me that you've been called to ministry, but not here. And you need to go back in business. You need to do what you were doing and then let God put you where he wants you, not where you want. That's not bad counsel. Not good, not bad at all, because, you know, we went back six months later. And uh, that was another thing, going back home from the place that we had left the year before. And people saying, why'd you go? And, and Chuck said, people are going to ask you that. And he says, and what you need to tell them is it's God's mysterious will. And get over it. That's it. <laughs> and so that's all we could say. It was God's mysterious will. When I look back now and I understand that what, a, what happened is that there, there was a, something very important that I needed to hear. And it's around this subject we're talking about. And that was the authentication of a businessman being in ministry. It is real. It's not a cop-out. It's not Bush League. It's the real deal. But, you know, we men think in boxes. Our women, you know, in their brain, they've got everything is connected. Mm-hmm. Well, we men, everything's in boxes. Mm-hmm. And we got ministry here, work here, family here, golf over here, and None of the boxes ever touch. Mm-hmm. That's a general truism about the way they think and the way we think. Mm-hmm. 
And so, you know, I think part of what we do in ministry is full-time people in ministry is, is um, champion these guys in, who are in the marketplace and don't, so that they don't feel like— We maybe authenticate them. And authenticate them, whatever the word is. Right. But we try to just let them know that right where you are, that connects that box, that ministry box— that you're gifted in connects with your family. It connects in the marketplace. It connects in your free time with the guys on the golf course. It connects everywhere. Mm-hmm. And try to get men out of that box thinking, but to see the central purpose of their life. Well, let's go to the to the message uh, of this ministry, and that's abiding in Christ. And mm-hmm. we some men, men, women, and both all the tip they they can get they can mistakenly think that abiding in Christ is a certain time of day. Mm-hmm. Get up, have their coffee, their quiet time, get their journal out. I'm abiding in Christ, now I've got to go to work. Well, that doesn't. that's not the way that works because abiding means a permanent residency. It means to remain. It does not mean to come date or visit. Mm-hmm. So the whole concept of abiding is that it's seamless. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, you have your quiet time, but then you go to work and Jesus is with you there. You're no less abiding because you're working. But there's a difference because a disciple is always looking outward around him and say, how can I impact my world for Christ? How can I live it out? How can they see Jesus in me? And see, this is the difference. And so when we authenticate uh, a businessman or a businesswoman or a teacher or a laborer, whatever their, their, their vocation is, if we authenticate their relationship is permanent, he walks with them, and then where they are living and serving is they're, they're the pastor of that church. Mm. That's their congregation. It is authentic. And go and, and, and bear fruit there. Mm-hmm. So when we do that, then we got, we're creating labors, which is what Jesus said, pray for, labors. I learned that in California. I was sent back to business. I went back with a fervor. I'm a Christian businessman. I'm going to be, I'm going to, I'm going to go deep in my relationship with the Lord, and I'm, I'm not going to compromise that. And I'm going to let Him tell me what I do next. Mm-hmm. You know, we visited Rocky and Sally. <clears throat> Can't remember this before or after you came to California, but uh, we were visiting them, and I remember Rocky had built a new house in Ocean Springs, and. And uh, I was up in a bedroom as we were in the guest bedroom upstairs uh, in their house. And I looked out the window, and there was a shed out back. It was early morning, and uh, then I saw this guy with a blanket around him walking out to the shed. (laughs) And Rocky had fixed that shed up with a a chair and a lamp and a light and a little heater, space heater. And he'd go out there every morning. And a lot of the guys that are journaling now— in the journey, it started with that guy journaling every morning out there. And I looked at him and I said, he's a businessman. I'm full-time ministry. I don't do that. <laughs> I said, what's wrong with this picture? And that's where iron sharpens iron. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. and uh, I realized the importance of journaling in my life at that point. Well, and I, I want to stop you guys right there because we're uh, we're out of time for today's podcast, but we're we're going to continue this interview and uh, and it'll be broadcast next week. But uh, so let me just stop you right there, and we'll we'll pick back up in a, in a little bit. But 
you've been listening to an interview with uh, Pete McKenzie and uh, Rocky Fleming, uh, two of the, the the godfathers of our, of our ministry, the forefathers of of this ministry that we all love. And uh, so, uh, thank you guys, and we'll we'll pick back up with part two for next week. But uh, all of you out there, uh, I want you guys to be sure you uh, have signed up for our Shepherd of the Ozarks, our national summit. We call it Soto. You may have heard that. Uh, there there's probably just a little bit of room left for you guys. So uh, pray about that and go to our website if, if you want to register for that. That's May 2nd through 5th. And uh, these two guys will be there and you'll get to rub shoulders with them and ask them questions. And uh, we'd love to see you guys there. So anyway, you've been listening to the Influencers Network podcast. I'm Brian Craig, your host. Uh, and I'm going to keep encouraging you to abide in Christ and go make disciples. God bless you.